You're listening to Enchanted, a podcast on the history of magic, sorcery, and witchcraft. I'm Corinne Wieben. Just a heads up before we get started, this episode acknowledges the existence of sex with demons. Listener discretion is advised. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. This is the story of creation as it appears in the first chapter of Genesis. God creates man and woman in a single moment. However, the next chapter holds a very different account. Having formed Adam, the first man, from clay and breathed life into him, God decides he needs a companion and creates the first woman, Eve. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. So how do we reconcile these two very different accounts of the creation of humanity? Some would tell you that the first account is actually about the creation of Adam's first wife, Lilith, who refused to be subordinate to Adam, insisting on her own equality until God cast her out of the Garden of Eden and created Eve. Cursed as a demon, Lilith now flies through the night, entering houses, seducing men, and sucking the life from children. Despite this, she's also become a feminist icon to some, the woman who literally refused to lie down. But it's a long road from one line in Genesis to becoming one of the chief apocryphal characters of the Bible and a symbol of resistance to patriarchal power. So how did the legend of Lilith come to be? The name Lilith most likely derives from Mesopotamian culture. Documents from ancient Sumer list Lilith, called Lilitu, as a category of demon. But she appears to have emerged as a demoness in her own right by roughly 2000 BCE, when one Sumerian epic, Gilgamesh and the Hulupu tree, mentions her by name. Inanna, goddess of the heavens, wants to create a throne and bed from the tree, but she's obstructed by a dragon a monstrous bird, and the demoness Lilith. In the next millennium, Lilith would emerge as a figure in Hebrew writings, cementing her position in Jewish tradition. The Bible includes Lilith's name only once in the book of Isaiah. One translation reads, Wild cats will meet hyenas, the goat demon will call to his friends, and there Lilith will lurk and find her resting place. But the ambiguity of the original Hebrew is reflected in the wildly varied translations of this passage. The King James Bible, for example, translates Lilith as screech owl. Other possibilities include the Latin lamia, a kind of female vampire, night monster, 
Night Demon, Night Hag, Night Birds, Nocturnal Animals, Night Animals, and, for full gothic effect, Creatures of the Night. Strangely, after this single mention and a brief cameo in the first century Dead Sea Scrolls, Lilith disappears from Jewish writings for centuries, until roughly 600 CE, when she returns with a vengeance in the rabbinic commentary on the Torah contained in the Babylonian Talmud. Lilith, or at least the class of demon that shares her name, receives only four mentions in the Talmud. However, it's this Talmudic period that gives Lilith many of her essential characteristics. One passage warns men that It is prohibited to sleep alone in a house, and anyone who sleeps alone in a house will be seized by the evil spirit Lilith. Another passage explains that of the ten curses placed on Eve, and by extension all women, Three additional curses are, she grows her hair long like Lilith, a demon. She sits and urinates like an animal, and serves as a pillow for her husband during relations. Lilith's long hair is derived from a long tradition of associating a woman's loose and flowing hair with loose sexual morals, reinforced by the reference to women's animal nature and sexual subordination in this passage. Another passage ensures observers that In the case of a woman who discharges a fetus that has the form of a Lilith, a female demon with wings and a human face, its mother is impure with the impurity of a woman after childbirth, as it is a viable offspring, only it has wings. And a final passage uses Lilith to explain an obscure line in Genesis chapter 5. All those years during which Adam was ostracized for the sin involving the tree of knowledge, he bore spirits, demons, and female demons, as it is stated, and Adam lived a hundred and thirty years, and begot a son in his own likeness, after his image, and called his name Seth. By inference, until now, the age of one hundred thirty, he did not bear after his image, but rather bore other creatures. Those destructive creatures were formed from the semen that Adam accidentally emitted, which brought the destructive creatures into being. These passages and the similarity between Lilith's name and the Hebrew Layla, night, help secure her position in Talmudic tradition as a feminine demon who comes at night to seduce unsuspecting men and bear monstrous children. And while the scholarly Talmudic tradition spent relatively little time on Lilith, her fame was already growing in popular culture. Magical amulets to protect against Lilith abounded in Jewish communities from late antiquity through the modern era, a testament to her cultural importance. In addition to the amulet tradition, Aramaic magical incantation bowls dating from between the 5th and 8th centuries, have also been recovered from Nippur in southern Iraq. These were inscribed with magical incantations and often buried upside down under the thresholds of houses. The bowls were mainly commissioned by women and feature a variety of names, 
including Semitic and Persian names, but also Greek with Christian inscriptions. But all were intended to protect the household from Lilith and her male counterpart, Lily. By this period, the lore surrounding Lilith and Lily included the idea that they could change their shapes to imitate the appearance of a husband or a wife, using this illusion to seduce the unsuspecting spouse. This may explain why the formulaic incantation on some of the bowls is written in the form of the get, the Jewish ritual for divorce. As a succubus who assumed the appearance of the wife in order to seduce the husband, Lilith played the part of an adulteress, or a kind of demonic concubine. Therefore, the male victim could expel her from his household using the same ritual he would use to expel any woman. One example of the get formula, meant to rid Geone and his wife Roshnoi of Lilith, reads, Thou Lilith, hag and snatcher, I abjure you by the strong one of Abraham, by the rock of Isaac, by the Shaddai of Jacob, to turn away from this Roshnoi and from Geonai, her husband. Your divorce and writ and letter of separation sent through holy angels. Hallelujah. Another, seeking to keep Lilith away from a married woman, states, I have written for you, and I have separated you from Duan Dukbakafni, as demons write divorces to their wives and do not return them. Take your get from Duan Dukbakafni, and do not appear to her, neither during the day nor at night, and do not lie with her, and do not kill her sons and her daughters. As this example indicates, these bowls also reflect the threat Lilith presented to children. Some of the incantations command her not to kill children. Another insists that she destroys and kills and tears and strangles and eats boys and girls. In this tradition, Lilith becomes the anti-woman, in opposition to the ideal of the woman as faithful wife and nurturing mother. Lilith destroys marriages through her indiscriminate sexuality and actively seeks to harm, even kill, children. In an attempt to defend their households, women too used the formula of the get to banish Lilith from their house. One such inscription goes on to declare that This day from among all days, years, and generations of the world, I, Conus, have divorced and dismissed and banished you. You, Lilith, Lilith of the desert, ghost and kidnapper, receive your gets and your divorces, gets and divorces that were sent in the curse, here, and go away, and do not lie with her, with Conus, not in her house, and not in her dwelling. By the 10th century, the Midrashic alphabet of Ben Sira collected the full folk tradition of Lilith into a more cohesive story, establishing the tradition of Lilith as Adam's first wife. The alphabet itself is often a vulgar and irreverent take on more scholarly Talmudic commentaries, but it's probably most famous for solidifying the details of the Lilith myth, presenting a more complete origin story than any previous written text. Not only does the alphabet include mention of Lilith's origins and nature, it also illustrates the means of preventing her from harming children.
When God created the first man, Adam, alone, God said, It is not good for man to be alone. So God created a woman for him, from the earth like him, and called her Lilith. Adam and Lilith promptly began to argue with each other. She said, I will not lie below. And he said, I will not lie below, but above, since you are fit for being below, and I for being above. She said to him, The two of us are equal, since we are both from the earth. And they would not listen to each other. Since Lilith saw how it was, she uttered God's ineffable name and flew away into the air. Adam stood in prayer before his maker and said, Master of the universe, the woman you gave me fled from me. The Holy Blessed One immediately dispatched the three angels after her. God said, If she wants to return, well and good. And if not, she must accept that a hundred of her children will die every day. The angels pursued her and told her God's orders, and yet she did not want to return. They told her they would drown her in the sea, and she replied, Leave me alone. I was only created in order to sicken babies. If they are boys, from birth to day eight, I will have power over them. If they are girls, from birth to day twenty. She swore to them in the name of the living God that whenever she would see them or their names or their images on an amulet, she would not overpower that baby. Therefore, we write the names of the three angels on amulets of young children. When Lilith sees them, she remembers her oath, and the child is protected and healed. Suddenly, Lilith becomes the disobedient first wife of Adam and decides she would rather be cursed than be subordinate to her husband. This story fills the gap between the two accounts of creation in Genesis. It also cements Lilith's position as a demoness who attacks children in particular, but who can be prevented by an amulet featuring the names of the three angels of healing. While Lilith clearly existed in magical tradition prior to the Middle Ages, her position as demoness would be elevated still further in the Kabbalistic texts of the 12th and 13th centuries, especially in Rabbi Isaac ben Jacob HaKohen's Treatise on the Left Emanation and the central text of Kabbalah, the Sefer HaZohar, the Book of Splendor. Kabbalah is a mystical tradition within Judaism that first developed in the 12th century and went on to influence a vast number of magical traditions both within and outside of Judaism. Like other medieval disciplines, such as alchemy, Kabbalah sought to use a combination of mystical and mathematical means to understand the complex relationship between the divine and the material world. Both Rabbi Isaac's Treatise on the Left Emanation and the Zohar reflect the richness of Jewish intellectual life in 13th century Spain, the recovery of Greek and Roman philosophical texts, as well as an influx of Arabic learning, helped fuel the radical rethinking of Jewish tradition within Kabbalah. One of the major differences between the rabbinic and Kabbalistic traditions being the acceptance of sexuality as an essential part of the divine as well as the material world. 
In Treaties on the Left Emanation, Lilith is elevated to the position of Demon Queen, consort of Samael. The reason which evokes hatred and jealousy between the heavenly powers and the powers of the Supreme Host is one form which is destined for Samael, and it is Lilith. And it has the image of a feminine form, and Samael is in the form of Adam, and Lilith in the form of Eve. Both of them were born in a spiritual birth as one, similar to the form of Adam and Eve, like two pairs of twins, one above and one below. She's also given special credit for causing the fall of humanity through unconventional means. And the serpent, the woman of harlotry, incited and seduced Eve, and the serpent seduced holy Eve, and enough said for him who understands. And all this ruination came about because Adam, the first man, coupled with Eve while she was in her menstrual impurity. This is the filth and the impure seed of the serpent who mounted Eve before Adam mounted her. Behold, here it is before you. Because of the sins of Adam, the first man, all the things mentioned came into being. However, Rabbi Isaac still frames Lilith in terms of her relationships, to Samael, to Adam, and to Eve. In the Zohar, Lilith would emerge as an entity in her own right. The Zohar mentions Lilith in a variety of contexts, but always as a fully demonic representation of female sexuality. She is an abominable harlot, a wife of harlotry, a serpent, the end of all flesh, and the end of days. In a retelling of Genesis, Lilith becomes a rebellious woman seeking divinity, and cast aside in favor of Eve. Emerging, she ascended and descended, arriving at the small faces of the cherubim. She desired to cling to them, be portrayed in them and never depart. The Blessed Holy One separated her from there, bringing her down below when he created Adam. As soon as she saw Eve cleaving to the side of Adam, she flew away, desiring as before to cleave to the small faces. Those guardians of the gates on high did not allow her. The Blessed Holy One rebuked her and cast her to the bottom of the sea, where she dwelled until Adam and his wife sinned. Then the Blessed Holy One plucked her from there, as she rules over all those children, small faces of humanity, who deserve to be punished for the sins of their fathers. She flies off, roaming through the world, finding children who deserve to be punished. She toys with them and kills them. From the 13th century onward, Lilith's position as the antithesis of Eve is secure. While the children of Eve attempt to cling to God, Lilith's cursed existence is bent on the destruction of their marriages and their offspring. So who is Lilith, truly? A demon queen? One of many such demons? Adam's first wife? In truth, Lilith has always been whatever men and women most fear. Following the destruction of the Second Temple in Jerusalem during the First Roman-Jewish War in 70 CE, responsibility for religious sanctity and ritual purity transferred from the priests of the Temple to the heads of Jewish households. With this came a slew of concerns over bodily integrity and sexual impurity. 
While Lilith is sometimes seen as a reflection of the dangers of female sexuality, she often embodies men's anxieties about their own sexuality. It's possible that the incantation bowls provided a means for Jewish men and women to alleviate their anxieties about sexual disorder in the domestic sphere, but by the Middle Ages, Lilith stood as a firm symbol of feminine power. In Kabbalistic writings, Lilith became the woman who refused to submit to her husband, desiring instead to gaze on the faces of angels. Cast down, she took her place alongside Samael as a demon queen, and eternal enemy of humankind, the antithesis of Eve. In the modern era, Lilith has become both a focal point for ritual magic and a feminist icon. She's appeared in literary works from Goethe's Faust to the poetry of Robert Browning to the fantasy novels of George MacDonald and C.S. Lewis. In the 20th and 21st centuries, her name has become synonymous with the assertion of feminine independence and the rejection of patriarchal norms. Far from her demonic past, modern depictions of Lilith tend to be soft and seductive, as Dante Gabriel Rossetti's iconic pre-Raphaelite painting, Lady Lilith, which depicts a sultry, golden-haired femme fatale surrounded by poppies and white roses, symbols of death and empty passion, gazing into a mirror and combing her hair. To accompany the painting, Rossetti wrote a sonnet published in 1886 in which Lilith becomes a beautiful, if tragic, snare for unwary men. Of Adam's first wife Lilith it is told, the witch he loved before the gift of Eve, that ere the snakes her sweet tongue could deceive, and her enchanted hair was the first goal, and still she sits, young while the earth is old, and subtly of herself contemplative, draws men to watch the bright web she can weave, till heart and body and life are in its hold. The rose and poppy are her flower, for where is he not found, O Lilith, whom shed scent and soft shed kisses and soft sleep shall snare? Lo, as that youth's eyes burned at thine, so went thy spell through him, and left his straight neck bent, and round his heart one strangling golden hair. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can subscribe to Enchanted wherever you listen. Rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts helps new listeners find us, so if you want to help spread the word, please leave a review and tell your friends about us. Special thanks this week to Lenny Scovel, Kate austin Grown, Kit Baker, Greg Adams, and Kiernan Angley for their voice talents. This week's episode was produced by me, with original music by Purple Planet. You can find them at purple-planet.com. You can get in touch with us via email at enchantedpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Enchanted Podcast and on Twitter at Enchanted Pod. To learn more about the show or to become a supporter and help keep the magic going, 
please visit EnchantedPodcast.net. I'm Corinne Wieben. Thank you for listening and stay enchanted.